Welcome back, everybody, to Beyond the Shadows, a Mothra and Ghost story, and Mike Ricksecker. A little bit of a different show coming up for you tonight. I've called it Time Travel and the Ancients, but um, we're going to touch on a lot of different topics, and there's going to be, well, that, that theme in there of time travel throughout a number of the different topics. We're going to be talking about a lot of different things, and we're just going to see where this goes. So I do expect a lot of interaction from those down in the chat room here on the Edge of the Rabbit Hole YouTube channel. And, of course, we've got to let you know this. This episode of Beyond the Shadows is brought to you by Haunted Road Roast. It helps you hunt ghosts. That is our coffee. You can find that out at hauntedroadmedia.com. Also, my uh, personal website, mikerickseker.com. So, where we're going to start this evening is uh, a little bit different here. So, I just announced this, uh, what was it, over the weekend. I think it was Saturday, right? And this actually plays into a lot of what we're going to be talking about this evening. And that is the Unveiling the Shadows workshop. So this is something new that I have uh, put together or am putting together uh, for this month, October 24th. You can sign up for it on uh, hauntedroadmedia.com. It also uh, links there on my website, mikerickseker.com. And basically this is a, uh, a much, much deeper dive into the world of shadow people and how I'm integrating that into this discussion this evening uh, is are some time travelers uh, or some shadow people time travelers and that is a topic that we definitely dive into in unveiling the shadows along with a lot of other topics as well so um and that's a great question. So are some of the shadow people that we see time travelers? Now, shadow people have been reported for uh, millennia, uh, dating all the way back to the ancients. We did a show on that a few weeks back where we got into historic shadow people, and we got into uh, ancient Egypt, ancient Samaria, uh, cultures from all over the world, not really connected uh, for uh, millennia again, and yet they all had very, very similar stories of uh, these different type of phenomena that just happened to call it a little bit different. They had a little different legend behind it, but they were all reporting the same thing. But are some of these actually time travelers? Are some of these um, things that we witness when you wake up and you see the shadow person in the corner of your room, or if you walk into a room and you see that shadow dart across, um, is that perhaps a time traveler that, you know, We've, we have discussed a little bit here uh, before on Beyond the Shadows that, you know, with some of these different entities standing there observing you, is it somebody from perhaps a uh, future culture here on Earth coming back and observing how we interacted, how we worked, how, you know, how we slept, how we lived our lives, uh, all those different sorts of things, you know, those are the type of things that in our society today that we want to be able to go back and discover about our ancient uh, civilizations. Well, at some point in time, we are going to be the ancient civilization. So some other future generation is going to want to come back and observe us. And, you know, with the way this year is gone, they may be scratching their heads like, oh my gosh, what in the world happened in 2020? 
um, they really jacked everything up there. What did they do? And so I could certainly see uh, some future civilization coming back and uh, trying to figure out what in the world went wrong in 2020. So that would actually be an interesting uh, survey there. You know, has shadow person activity picked up uh, during this year? You know, and, uh, you know, of course, then the question becomes, why do they appear as a shadow? Well, that could be, you know, because of, you know, whatever device that they're using or the technology that they're using, that that is the way uh, that they manifest. Um, you know, we, on our previous show with Jim Penniston talking about the Rendlesham Forest incident, you know, we're talking about that was an actual, it would have been some sort of drone, some sort of device that was sent back uh, in time from the future. So that's, you know, an actual physical craft. Of course, the technology behind it was something that we just, we can't even replicate today. Uh, but, you know, perhaps even further in the future from whenever that was sent, if there was a way to be able to do this with people, because he doesn't believe that was man, if there was a way to be able to do this with people, how would that person manifest into our place and time? So these are, you know, interesting questions to uh, to certainly be able to uh, dive into. And uh, yeah, if you have any questions out there, by all means, send them the way of Quarantine Ghost. So uh, he'll be sending me those questions and I'll go ahead and answer those, of course. So uh, basically, anything time travel related, we'll get into some of the ancients here. So a bit of news that, uh, that I found interesting, and this is going to play into uh, all of our you know, ancient time travel uh, topics this evening. Oh, and by the way, yes, again, hunterroadmedia.com uh, or mikerickseker.com for unveiling the shadows. Uh, October 24th, 2 to 4 p.m., and it is a $25 workshop. So uh, those that are on the uh, Patreon page, you guys get 20% off. So uh, check check that out at uh, patreon.com slash hunterroadmedia and, and get your discount. So, so this was some news here uh, earlier today, and I do apologize to those on the podcast. You're not going to see the photos, uh, but the ancient mummies that were uh, that were unearthed here just recently. And this has actually be, become uh, quite controversial, um, which I find interesting because this is something that we have been doing for a long, long time as we are researching these different ancient historic sites. So. Uh, these were unearthed at, at the Saqqara necropolis. Uh, there were 59 coffins belonging to Egyptian priests and officials from the 26th dynasty. So basically, we're talking about the uh, from the pharaonic late period, about 664 to 525 BC. Now, these were in, in amazing condition, uh, pristine condition. Um, and these were discovered uh, August, uh, of course, it's south of Cairo. And they were just put on display. They were buried in three uh, shafts, 30 to 40 foot uh, shafts. And they were found along with 28 statues of the ancient Egyptian god Seker. So this is what was very controversial, is when they opened these up. Uh, there's a lot of people that believe that they should not have done that, that uh, this is actually... Um, what do I want to say? Uh, that it is very, you know, offensive, really. 
again, we've been doing this for a long, long time. It's very, you know, people are saying it's very disrespectful. We should let the dead lie. And I understand the controversy within that um, because they were laid down to rest. And, of course, it was the belief that this was supposed to send them along into the afterlife. Um, the, the problem here, of course, is if these guys don't do it and these mummies these uh sarcophagi are going to be put into a museum if they don't do that um somebody else will and the somebody else usually is not a good person so one of the problems that uh the archaeological community historians um you know really us who, are, who want to be able to learn and research about these ancient cultures. One of the problems that we've had over the years are with grave robbers. And grave robbery has been going on you know, just as long as people have been buried. <laughs> um, that, that's always been going on. And you know, one of the, the problems with Egypt, especially back in the early day of archaeology, was being able to find tombs that had not been robbed. Uh, so they'd go in there, you could see the tomb, but you know there was nothing in there because they had already uh, they had already been robbed. So to me, it's a bit of a uh, safety measure to go ahead, get the sarcophagi out of there. Yeah, we kind of understand that um, you know that they were supposed to be there forever, but um, you know if if they don't disturb them and put them in a safe place. Somebody else will disturb them and not take care of them. So, um, you know, so they are going to research. They are going to, you know, open them and research and, and discover some things. And maybe we'll learn some other secrets uh, from the past that we didn't yet know. And, you know, maybe get a few more insights into the ancient Egyptian culture, uh, which a lot of people believe that, uh, you know, go back further than what we currently know and we're going to get into um, I'm going to basically come back around on the uh, ancient Egyptian mummies and, and, and those sorts of things a little bit later here as we get uh, a little bit deeper into the the time travel topics um, as I'm not going to dive into all of that just yet um, okay so we do have some questions coming in. Betty Lange, uh, grand old folks. Mike, do you feel that authors of the past were asking the same questions about time travel? Uh, they very well could have been, and I am going to get into that. I, I believe they may have even been able to, uh, to harness time travel, uh, or at least be able to, I, I believe they've observed it, um, you know, but there is a possibility that they are actually able to harness it as well, and we'll get into that here in a little bit. Uh, from Alina the Fam, Mike, do you believe in Egyptian curses? Well, yeah, there was always the um, like the curse of, of King Tut because of um, all the people that had uh, that had died uh, that had you know come into contact. Now, there's you know some other beliefs um, or possibilities as to you know why uh, these different people had had passed and had died, and there are you know some um, natural causes and biological uh, explanations for all those. Um, you know, but there's still that kind of bit of uncertainty of, well, you know, but it was so many. 
and some of them were really strange and odd. Even though a lot of it you could try to explain away, it does make you wonder. And so I guess after unearthing these, uh, we'll see what happens. But there are many others that have been uh, unearthed over you know years and years and years, and you know you, you don't have a lot of those stories like you did with with King Tut. Um, it seems like that's like the focus. Uh, was was on the stories with with that particular one, but um, yeah, there are so many other uh, mummies that have been unearthed over the years without you know the curses coinciding with them as well. So I guess we'll see with them. Um, so all right, Tom McNicholas, Tom McNicholas, why wouldn't they try to help us and change the future instead of just observing? Well, you know that's kind of it's kind of interesting, Tom. Um, so, okay, like with um, with Jim's The Rendlesham Force Incident, um, if you get, and I'll shout out his book here again, uh, The Rendlesham Enigma. Diving deep in this book and getting into his uh, his hypnosis sessions, you know, we're really, we're just to try to help him with, uh, with sleeping. He was, for years, he was waking up with... Uh, with severe nightmares, couldn't get back to sleep. He had reached such a point of uh, sleep deprivation that it was physically hurting him. Um, and basically this was like, it was kind of like a last ditch effort by the doctors. Um, you know, there were different medications they were trying to prescribe him and all sorts of things that they were doing. And so it was really kind of a last ditch effort to let's, you know, let's go through the hypnosis. Let's see if there's some underlining trauma there from, you know, earlier in your life that maybe we can, you know, get out and, you know, try to help you, you know, cope with, you know, if it's there. And so, you know, it's just a handful of sessions. And, and what was interesting was that, um, that what was coming back from the future um, was they were trying to get, you know, different chromosomes and human DNA to help with progressing the future. Apparently there's, you know, something wrong with a, future race of humans and so they're coming back to try to you know get some you know, medical help subtly uh, but they don't want to change a number of things here in, in the past you know and and there could be all kinds of you know reasons for that maybe paradoxes created we don't know uh for certain why because you know we haven't been able to you know sit down with one and ask okay why don't you want to change anything um but they don't apparently. So, um, you know, but you know, if we were to go back into the past, you know, would we necessarily want to, you know, make ourselves known to those people in the past? Um, you know, it might, it might freak them out. Um, of course there might be the whole God worship thing. So if you're a narcissist, you know, but I think, one of the more interesting things for us is just to observe and learn how people really did things um, in the far past. You know, we have ideas about what they did and how they did things. You know, we look at different tools of, oh yeah, they must have done it this way. They must have used it that way. But um, would you necessarily need to interact with the Egyptians to observe and discover how they built the pyramids or you know, the, uh, the question that's out there now about the Sphinx and how old it really is, you know, do you really need to interact with the Egyptians or can you just sit there and, and watch the Sphinx get carved? Um, yeah. 
So, um, Robert Hanna, hey Mike, do you think the Anunnaki were possibly time travelers? Um, it's possible, sure. So, there are a lot of different theories about the Anunnaki, you know, ranging from, um, you know, aliens to gods to interdimensional beings to all kinds of things. Could they possibly have been um, time travelers? Sure, that's that's another possibility out there as well. Um, Betty Lange, what do you think of the crystal skulls? Were they placed from time travelers or a hoax? Um, you know, I think the jury's still out about the crystal skulls. So, you know, there's a lot of interesting theories postulated about the crystal skulls as well and there's so many of them out there these days you know they're supposed to be you know that original set of crystal skulls that were supposed to be encoded uh, with all kinds of information and you can of course with crystal encode information into it we're doing it today you know with little crystal slides that'll hold you know more data you know than your, your current hard drive on your computer um you know, it's it's actually uh, quite fascinating. So, could a you know higher race of beings be able to encode information into um, you know that quartz crystal? Sure, absolutely. Do we know how to access it yet? No, not really. Um, people do talk about, however, like a consciousness being like within some of these crystal skulls, and I've. Um, you know, I've had my hand on one that was supposed to have one of these. Um, consciousness uh embedded into it his name was osh uh, i put my hand on it at first i wasn't getting a whole lot and just kind of like mm, okay and um you know i honestly i can't remember exactly what it said to me but um it wasn't exactly nice and, and i was i was a lot younger at the time a bit naive and it was kind of that sort of thing that it was you know throwing out at me and like i said i can't remember exactly what it had said but um you know here i am a seeker of knowledge and it was basically letting me know that i didn't know shit yet so um yeah all right so let me get to our next um topic here so I wanted to get into, and Victoria, if you are down in the chat, and I'm sure you are, Thunderbirds. So this has been coming up quite a bit lately, Thunderbirds. Um, this photo here is not actually of a Thunderbird. It's, it's kind of uh, worked as a stand-in for Thunderbird topics for a lot of people over the years. Um, this is actually, uh, it's actually a large bird. <laughs> um, and that's Dr. Uh, Kenneth Campbell standing in front of it. It's actually the largest known bird, um, the Argentavis magnificens. So basically it was found down in uh, Argentina. It lived about 6 million years ago during the Miocene period. Um, it's formally, it was discovered decades ago, but it was formally described in 1980 by Dr. Kenneth Campbell. Uh, but basically it was about, it was almost the size of a Cessna. Uh, it had a 23-foot wingspan and weighed about 150 pounds. That's a big bird. So, you know, if you're looking for um, a lot of turkey for Thanksgiving, um, there you go. But um, but it's kind of a stand-in for Thunderbird. And really, you know, with a bird that big, you know, think about it. If a bird is going to extinct, because obviously that went extinct, 
you know, at some point as the numbers dwindle and dwindle and dwindle, and you don't see them very often anymore. Um, you know, like maybe every once in a great while, it'll, you know, one will come through the area. You know, does that explain some of the Thunderbird legends? That maybe, you know, a couple of stragglers of these are still hanging around, and, you know, your your tribe hasn't seen them for for a long, long time. There might still be some legends of, yeah, I remember when the big birds were around, all of a sudden one goes overhead. And then you call it, you know, maybe they call that the Thunderbird. Uh, but there are a lot of different supernatural legends uh, around the Thunderbirds as well. And um, this recently came up. Um, oh, and I did want to mention real quick. Uh, there was another in um, in Arizona, Arizona Territory in the uh, 1890s. So there was a group of cowboys that um, you know, took down, or no, they discovered some um, large winged creature uh, you know, they originally described it as 190 feet uh, with the wingspan and all that. Uh, later, people that came forth said it was, well, actually it was about 20 to 30 feet. But what was interesting about this large winged creature that they discovered was that um, they said it was composed of a thick and nearly transparent membrane. It did not have feathers. So it almost makes you wonder if they had discovered some sort of pterodactyl. Um, of course, this would be millions and millions of years after you know, pterodactyls would have gone extinct, but we, you know, we mentioned this with things like Bigfoot, or some people think there may be a couple of woolly mammoths still walking around out there, that, you know, there could be very, very small pockets of some of these things still out there, and then all of a sudden you, you come across one that is died, or like with Bigfoot, you, you know, find the footprint or what have you, so that kind of makes you wonder, um, you know, maybe the pterodactyl was seen as a uh, thunderbird at one point in time. But I've had a, a different idea um, that's really come about for me uh, after you know, my experience with the Alaska Triangle. Um, now, the Alaska Triangle basically goes into the uh, the old Native, Anas- Native Alaskan legends about the the thunderbird, and thunderbird legends are you know really you know all over. But what really struck me, you know, getting into my work with, with portals and vortices and, and what have you, um, when we got into the story about the missing Douglas airplane, that one that took off out of Elmendorf, and in 1950, it just went completely missing. Um, a lot of people speculate it flying into uh, a portal. I do have that photo in here somewhere. Where is that? Uh, there we go. It flies into a portal never to be seen again. Um, there's some radio chatter that comes across that's indiscernible, but is believed to be from uh, the crew of that aircraft. And I've talked before on here about you know my take on this because I've had um, you know I've I've had incidents in my life not with airplanes but with other things that seem to be interdimensional that seem to be um, some sort of entity from another plane of existence that I had interacted with and while visually things were different between those planes of existence the sound emanated across one to the other. So that really struck a chord with me when it came to this airplane. So if it goes through a portal and disappears, 
where does it go? You know, we talk about, okay, another dimension, but what is another dimension? Um, you know, one thing we didn't really get into with Jim on the last episode, we did a very little bit um, in the first time that we had him on, was the idea that you know, time is not really a river of time, but it's all happening concurrently. So past, present, future, all happening at the same time. So in that sense, if you know a portal is open and you're talking about like another dimension or whatever, is that really just another place in time rather than, um, you know, for, for lack of a better term, the ups, upside down from Stranger Things, you know, just to give it a little description. Um, just food for thought. So let's say goes in through a portal, comes out into another place in time. Let's say that place in time was, you know, 400 years into the past. Okay, so 400 years into the past, the plane's coming out the other end of that portal and is flying around. They're looking around. Okay, where in the world are we? What what just happened? The natives that are there on the ground look up and they're seeing this plane fly overhead. Now, they have nothing to relate it to what does it become to them though they have the legends of you know the large birds what becomes their thunderbird so i'm of course not saying all thunderbirds are planes that have gone through a portal into the past but i would not doubt that some are and some may be so uh, from Victoria Monday, and I had asked her to chime in on the chat on this because we had actually a little bit of a discussion before the show on this, uh, which was kind of interesting. So she says, Mike, I feel that Thunderbirds are actually travelers in suits. The Native American bird god looks like the glyph on Jim's book. So, um, yeah, so she's talking about the, the glyphs here on the front of Jim's book, the uh, symbols that were on that uh that craft that he touched in the Rodotian forest. So it's an, it's an interesting idea. And Victoria had also um, tossed out there in our discussion, she didn't hear on um, in this chat, but when we had talked earlier today, that uh, remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about space phenomena and those space angels that the Russians saw, um, you know, up above the earth, that, you know, these could also be types of thunderbirds so you know out there in space if they're interdimensional of course uh you know being out in space they're not going to be at least as far as we you know, postulate and theorize they shouldn't be hampered by things like uh like gravity and and, and you know lack of oxygen and what have you um the fungi fungi didn't they detect the black box pinging from somewhere down in the ocean? Well, you're, you're talking about 19, a couple things. You're talking about 1950. Um, this is about the Douglas. This was before black boxes, for one. Um, it was not the ocean. Uh, they were over the land. Basically, right as they crossed the Alaska border into Canada, uh, the, the place, the closest uh, place in Canada was Snag. Uh, and that's basically where they operated a lot of their search and rescue out of. Uh, what's interesting is that uh, about a month later, there was a smaller plane that went down in the same area, and they were able to find this smaller plane. You know, not a problem. The crew was okay and all that. Um, so, yeah, it's a little bit different than, than what you're thinking. Um, 
All right. So, but yeah, with the uh, with with the Thunderbirds, I think there there are a lot of different possibilities as, as to what these things are were. Um, the idea that some of them are interdimensional beings, or you know, they could even be uh, you know time travelers here, large planes. I, I think it's a lot of these different things, and I think some of them were actually natural large birds. So I think it's a uh, a mishmash of of different things here. They're all being described as the same thing because that's what people are relating it to. Because these things are not seen very often. So if you have um, a legend coming down of yeah, there were once these you know these large birds, um, and then all of a sudden you see something like you know this this large light being with the wings and all that, um, then you know and you know they're calling it angels up in space. You know, another culture is calling it a large bird um, or a thunderbird or what have you. You know, these could all be similar things. And then, of course, a large plane flying overhead with the with the large wingspan. You know, so these could all be different things, but being, being described as the same, or at least very similar. So it, it's interesting uh, to consider at least. So fungi, fungi, why not dragons? Why not dragons? Different cultures call things different things. So some of these things in another culture could have been called dragons. Yeah. It's kind of like okay, when I go into uh, when I go into shadow people, okay, and I've I've you know talked many times before unveiling the shadows. It'll be in this course. Uh, when I get into how all the ancient cultures described old hag syndrome, and they all had a little different variation on what it was and they called it something different and you know there's a little bit of a different legend behind it and all of those things but they were essentially describing the same type of phenomena just a little bit of a different spin here and there you know all different cultures for millennia but yet it was still the same thing so you know the idea of dragons could be a similar type of thing as well so um so Victoria says, Mike, the, the cosmonauts saw seven space angels, which looked like uh, the now bird gods. There are seven archangels. Pleiades is known as the seven sisters. So yeah, you're seeing you're seeing the uh, the correlation of you know seven 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 seven, um, which is interesting. Um, you know, I, um, I I find you know, of course, numerology is interesting to me, and then you know when different patterns line up uh those things are also interesting to see as well so there could certainly be some correlation there um sarah youssef i wonder if any if anyone was able to glean anything in regards to sigil work um i'm not sure i'm not sure if anybody um i'm sure maybe somebody did do some sigil work there but i am not sure and what those results would have been i'm not sure either but um Good question. All right, so that's our little foray into Thunderbirds, um, where I wanted to get to from there as we kind of go down the rabbit hole. Um, let me bring up the next set of photos here. I'm sorry for the podcast. You're not going to see that. So... Uh, how would a future version of humans interact with us via time travel? So this is kind of interesting. And 
you know, really there's a lot of different theories as to how time travelers from another place in time would interact with us. Um, you know, what we heard from Jim earlier today is that, you know, what he interacted with was a piece of technology that seemed to be from the future and it basically imprinted information into his mind. Um, so that's one type of interaction there. So what I do find interesting, I'm going to get into um, Interstellar here a little bit because I think it's an interesting interpretation of how um, you know time travelers. Because we're dealing with with this, we're dealing with people you know outside the realm of time, um, and Cooper ends up being the time traveler. Uh, and kind of forced into it, really. And um, so they use the concept of the Tesseract, which to me is kind of a, uh, a clumsy way of identifying another dimension around ours. Because basically, you know, we, we're in the fourth dimension, which is basically time. So we're able to, you know, physically see and interact with all the dimensions below us so um like a point a line a plane you know I mean a flat surface and a 3d figure we're able to interact with well what the tesseract does is basically throw another you know 3d object on top of the 3d so i guess that's kind of maybe one of the limitations of us um you know only being able to see and interact with uh you know what's below us so the other thing that interstellar uses is gravity and they put they put these two different concepts together um in order to be able to interact over time that um you know basically they remove him from the river of time put him in um you know their fifth dimension so that they can pick out so he can pick out a point in time to be able to to interact and he basically becomes his daughter's ghost as he manipulates different points in time uh, to send information and so this is kind of their concept I mean, it's in a film but it's their concept of how a person at one point in time would be able to communicate with a person at another point in time um, so that here uh, is and this is what Interstellar did again with the podcast, and I could be able to see it. This is what Interstellar did with building their Tesseract. Um, all those little, basically, you see it as little boxes. It's a girl's bedroom. Uh, every moment in time, and he's able to interact with those. Again, it's you know, as far as our understanding right now, or well, I say understanding, but really our theories right now, and then. Um, you know, the technology that we have to be able to render something like this to a movie screen, you know, it works. And it, of course, worked to drive a, a plot. Again, I think it's a little bit, um, it, it's a little clumsy, but it, it works for storytelling. Um, and, and again, it, it, it asks the question, you know, are we our own ghosts? Which, you know, throwing another movie out there is, you know, kind of like the others where, you know, they didn't realize that they were the ghosts and it it took them basically the journey of the movie to figure out that they were and that what they thought were the ghosts were actually the people that were still alive um so 
you know, is that what we're seeing with some of the, you know, paranormal supernatural activity uh, that we're seeing? Are, you know, some of these, are some of these ghosts uh, actually people from another place in time that we're actually interacting with? Uh, I've, I've postulated this here a, a number of different times in some of the different stories that, um, you know, have been relayed to me over the years where, um, you know, uh, Andrea Perrin and her mother seeing uh, basically the apparitions of, of a family, you know, there at the, at dinner and they turn and, and look at them. Yeah, would you look at that? Like they are the ghosts. So if Andrea and her mother are looking at them, seeing them in like dated clothing, they're having a glimpse of the past. But if those there, the, old, the, the dated people, are looking back at them and seeing them, well, they're having a glimpse of the future. So you're having some sort of time slip. It really is like a time travel moment. I've heard this in other cases as well, like seeing a woman in Victoria clothing, and then that woman turns and looks at them, again, as if they are the ghost. So you can call it a time slip. It is a type of, uh, of time travel. Um, but what I've always, uh, thought, um, you know, if we were to have true time travel, uh, with, with a human conscious, you know, with like basically like yourself, um, and it's not necessarily a physical thing, you know, we're not talking about, uh, you know, jumping in a DeLorean, you know, a flux capacitor sort of thing. I think, I think that's, you know, something our science fiction has been giving us for a while now, uh, that we need some sort of device, we need some sort of technology to be able to uh, to push us there, that it has to be, you know, like a lot of speed, it has to be some sort of particle accelerator, um, you know, there might be some sticky goo involved, or, you know, swallowing a, a pill, or um, or a lot of different things. There's always seems to be that device that you have to interact with to make it happen. But what if it's not? You know, what if we're uh, th this is this is something that uh, that's really been mulling around in my mind a lot lately, um, especially when we start talking about things like simulated universe that we always seem to think that that has to be, you know, a computer simulation because that's, you know, the height of our technology right now. So it's like we can't, a lot of times we can only think so far beyond our current technology. Um, you know, like we, we can think of some very futuristic things and we throw them on the television and it's like, oh, okay, cool. And then, you know, you know somebody in a laboratory goes and makes it. But it seems to be that that's kind of the limit there. But I think it's when when I've thrown this out there about the simulated universe, I've always thrown out there. Well, rather than a computer, I think it's more either organic or biological or molecular, uh, something like that. That it's not actually, you know, a physical computer. I mean, there are a lot of and I didn't really mean to get into simulated universe here tonight, but. Um, 
I, I think, of course, there's a lot of credence that we are in some sort of simulated world or universe. You know, even if you go back into like the world religions, that you know we're here for a time, we're doing something, and we go on to an afterlife somewhere. So, so yeah, you know, th this is kind of a simulation. So, I think when it comes to true time travel, that is going to be more of your consciousness that you'll need to go into more of a meditative or trance state um if you want if you want to use the term astral projection in a sense um but you'd be projecting to another place in time um to me this is more along the lines of you know what's played out in the movie somewhere in time again i know i'm, I'm using a pop culture reference um but it illustrates the point that with that he was able to basically use his consciousness to move to another place in time um, and be able to physically go there uh, by taking his conscious his consciousness there by and in, in that what he ended up having to do was like utterly totally believing that he was in uh, that place in time and it transported him back there and so I think that you know you know through through meditation uh, that we can get we can actually do a a time jump and so where i was taking some of um this with the ancients and the the question was brought up earlier was that and i did forget to grab a couple of photos here so because i was going to get some stuff like uh you know the pyramids and in stonehenge and what have you i i think the ancients knew how to do this to a degree. So it was, it was asked earlier if, if the ancients knew how to time travel. And with the ancient sites of power that we've seen around the world, like I said, Stonehenge, pyramids, all that sort of stuff, um, we know that they were tapping into um, you know, the Earth's energy grid, the, the energy out of the Earth, hitting those telluric currents and, and using that energy we've seen it play out in other ways that vortex energy coming up out of the earth's magnetic core creating those portals all of that sort of stuff um and, and they knew how to utilize it for you know things like healing of course it was used in different ceremonial purposes they they knew how to use uh this energy to enter into higher states of consciousness well one of the what if one of those higher states of consciousness was being able to transport into another place in time. What if some of these, you know, different visions that they were having and things that they were coming back and reporting, you know, were actually visions of the future? So going back to you know, what we had here with, um, you know, with, with the mummies, right? You know, what if, because the afterlife was so revered in Egyptian culture, it was like their entire life was focused on getting into the afterlife and moving on. It was like, um, you know, your entire life was basically preparation for death. Um, but why? Why was this so, so important to, you know, do all this preparation for the very last moment you know, of your life, you know, what did they 
think that the afterlife was. And we hear about, you know, as above, so below. So, okay, you know, it they believe it's another version of, you know, here of earth, right? Okay, so, but what did that look like to them? Well, you know, a lot of the, you know, ancient priests and shamans and all that, you know, they were using these, you know, different techniques to enter into these higher uh, levels of consciousness. And of course, again, using these ancient sites of powers to do so. Well, what if during some of these times that they did this, they actually transported themselves in time to another place and observed that and believed that to be the afterlife, that maybe they weren't necessarily seeing, you know, another dimension or another, um, you know, another, you know, world beyond the veil or whatever. Maybe they were actually seeing another place in time that, hey, I'm still in Egypt, but this looks different. What they're actually observing is, you know, 1988 or something, I don't know, um, just throw out a random year. Um, we've heard uh, stories from our friends Freddie Silva being inside the Great Pyramid, and they actually got a moment in there. He and his, the small group that he was a part of, they actually uh, got a moment in there to be alone when the lights went out, and it was a very fascinating story. It's, it's on, uh, oh, that was our first interview with Freddie Silva, so that's back on the Hunter Road Media uh, YouTube channel, and he talks about these light beams that came out of um, it basically came out of the stone and they were interacting and observing each other. And basically, you know, Freddie and his team are doing some, um, you know, some work there. You know, one of the things that they do is they, uh, they, they, they try to clean up, you know, some of the bad energy that's been, uh, that's been placed there. So, you know, they're, they're doing some, um, different light work there, uh, for lack of a better term. And these light beams come out. Well, what if during that, interaction as Freddie and his team are entering a higher higher level of conscious that they were able to have one of those time slips and see entities from another place in time and those entities saw him of course it could also be from another uh you know from another dimension elsewhere i don't know i'm just i'm just throwing out some possible ideas that uh, these things could be happening at these ancient sites of power that, you know, these time slips, yes, I think it was Betty Lange who asked the question earlier, that yes, uh, there very well could be times that the ancients were doing these different um, things to enter these states of consciousness to actually access future, uh, be able to access the future. So, um so I hope that answered your question from quite a while ago. <laughs> um, all right. So I think I had a couple other uh, brief things here. We've got about 15 minutes left in the show, guys. So go ahead and throw some more questions down. I know you guys had some great ones earlier on. Um, yeah, the other thing that I wanted to throw out there, kind of related, but again, a little different. Robert Hanna says I'm... Uh, making you guys think and that's and that's really a lot of what it is you know i don't claim to have you know all the answers here um i'm just throwing out different ideas see if they stick um i think some of them have some merit um you know like the the, the thing with the thunderbirds you know victoria and i going back a little bit uh a little back and forth there i i think that they are you know they're all interesting ideas and they all certainly have some merit um 
you know, I've, um, you know, I've always thrown out there that I reserve the right to change my mind, but for me to be able to change my mind, I have to have some ideas first. So, um, I just like to ask the, you know, the what if question, you know, so what if these, you know, these ancient priests and shamans were doing this sort of thing back then and boom, entered, you know, this state of consciousness that took them to another place in time because we've seen it. We've seen it now when we look back and we see, oh, there's a woman in a Victorian dress. You know, so some of these ghosts could be that. Um, some of these visions people have, you know, being transported to different places. Um, you know, it's extremely interesting. Um, Sarah Youssef, if you have the ability to time travel, would you test yourself? Absolutely. Absolutely. I would certainly do it. So, I'm not, I certainly have not gotten there yet because I'd be saying, hey, I've done it. Um, you know, I've, I've had challenges trying to, to astral project when I've actually, since I've known what astral projection is, see, this is, this is the weird thing. Since I've actually known what astral projection is, I've had a hard time trying to do it. And I think it's kind of like a mental block um, because it's like, oh, this is what I'm trying to do. But when I was a teenager, there's a couple of weird things that happened here. So when I was a teenager, you know, I was just putting myself into a meditative state last night. I was actually trying to, to do some stuff with dreams is what I was trying to do back then. I had no idea what I was doing. And I got to the point where um, I was actually feeling these waves up and down, up and down, up and down as I was going into this meditative state. And I started to feel like this bit of electric feel. And I just, I scared myself. I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? And talking to people years later, they were like, yeah, you were just on the verge of having an out-of-body experience. You were just about to go OBE and, and astral project. I was like, oh, wow, okay. I haven't been able to do it since. Um, you know, the other one where I entered into a, um, a, a trance state and was able to manipulate envi- my environment was, I know this isn't really time travel, but it is related because I'm talking about using your consciousness to time travel. Um and that the ancients may have done it. Uh, the other one was in, uh, I grew up Catholic, and I was going through my different, you know, things that I had to do for confirmation when I was in high school. And I, I can't remember what this mass was that we were going to. I was there with um, with my confirmation sponsor, and, you know, the priest is doing the mass or whatever. Um and my sponsor's, you know, next to me, and I think we're in, we were kneeling at the time, and I'm looking at this candle that's, you know, or a couple of pews back, there's no, actually nobody in front of me, because there's no, it was kind of a, a sparse number of people, and over by the baptismal, there's this candle, and I'm looking at the flame, and I'm getting entranced by the flame, and as I'm looking at it, in my mind, I'm saying higher, higher, higher. And the flame is going higher and higher and higher and higher until I finally dawned on me, oh, my God, what am I doing? Because I was making the flame go high. And right when I did that, oh, my God, what am I doing? Boom, flame came right back down. So it was actually, I think you guys, you know, probably some of you are like, yeah, right. Uh, but seriously, I was in that moment with this meditative state I was putting myself into was making that flame go up with the power of my mind. So it is possible. All right. So um, Sharon Lane is Mothman, a dimensional time traveler. 
Um, one of these days, I'm going to do a full thing on Mothman because there's a lot of um, there's a lot of interesting things when it comes to to Mothman, and you know whether he's interdimensional. Some people think he's an alien. Um, some people think it's something to do with with the government because you know the the government agents have been all over the thing. Um, and there's so many, so many reports. So I do think that it is some sort of legitimate phenomenon. I'm not going to say that, you know, Mothman made the Silver Bridge crash. Um, but I think there's certainly something to uh, the, the Mothman sightings. Absolutely. But that's going to be like a whole nother thing uh, one of these days. All right. So um, the other thing I wanted to get into here real, real quick, uh, that does in a way kind of play into a lot of things that we're talking about because I talk about you know how all things are connected so this this thing with Venus here and this possible sign of life on Venus you know if we could time travel and we go let's let's go you know several million years into the future would we actually see Venus as another Earth? And so for those of you that know, don't know, there were um, some different readings that came out of Venus that there is, um, you know, some bacteria. You know, Venus is an extremely harsh environment, but um, they've come up with some readings that there is this bacteria at a certain level in the atmosphere of Venus that's basically giving off a uh, basically it would be a foul gas but it would be made by bacteria and of course bacteria is a is a living life form so they're saying okay there is some sort of uh, a life on venus but the the climate there is so insanely harsh um that right now it's not going to support life but if you could time travel and watch the evolution of our solar system what would we actually see? Would we see Mars with life? I think so. I certainly, I certainly think it, it did have life. That asteroid belt between Jupiter and Mars, did that once have life? You know, was it actually, did the asteroid belt have life? Was it actually a planet first and did it have life? You know, if you think about you know, the formation of the solar system and how, you know, everything, um, you know, was so hot at one point. And then it cooled off and cooled off and cooled off. Right now, the Earth is in the Goldilocks zone. So would those other planets at some point have been in that Goldilocks zone to better be able to support life? Like whatever that planet may have been between Mars and Jupiter to Mars, to now here, to maybe Venus in the future. Of course, eventually, the sun will expand and, you know, annihilate, you know, everything in the solar system. Um, so I've been saying for a while now, we, you know, we do need to eventually figure out a way to get off planet, um, if not due to, you know, the, the population issue that we're going to have here uh, at some point down the road. But at some point, of course, the sun will destroy us. But, um, you know, it it does make you wonder about, you know, what has been passed down through the ages, um, through our different cultures, through, you know, our ancients. You know, is there some sort of message that's 
been lost, that's embedded somewhere, that not only came here from Earth or came from you know another dimension, which I do believe they all have, but also from the other planets in our solar system. And of course, many of you will also say from the rest of the universe as well. We have been able to draw connections to uh, different star systems, you know, you know, light years away from here. Um, I'm just trying to say a little local for now. <laughs> so um, yeah, I think it's absolutely fascinating about you know, how all of these different things are connected. And if we are able to use our consciousness to time travel, what could we actually possibly go see and what could we learn from that? If, if these planets did exist with life before and we could go back and see that, what could we learn? Because obviously something happened there if they did have life. Something happened there where they no longer had. So could we go back and observe that? Going back to the observing shadow people. Could we go to, could we be a time traveler? Go back to Mars millions of years ago as a shadow person and see exactly what was going on there and maybe be able to learn why that failed to be able to help ourselves now so that we don't make the same mistakes. So I think that's also, I remember Tom McNicholas asking earlier, you know, why just observe? And maybe that's it. Maybe you don't want to, you know, really interact with what's going on there and change things. Maybe there's just something about watching that you're learning to help yourself later on. Because to me, that's, that's a big crux of what history is about, is not making the same mistakes, learning from our past so that we don't do the same thing again and again and again. We as humans are, we have the propensity to make the same mistakes over and over and over and over again. You know, so because we have what sort such a short memory or we have such short lives, you know, whatever it is, we just, we kind of lose it. You know, we see, we see in our society today, you know, the same mistakes that were made, you know, like 50 years ago. And we're like, what in the world? You know, I thought we learned from all this and we're doing the same damn thing again. And here we go around and round and round. Well, you know, what if we could go back and learn and save ourselves from making the same mistakes now, or at least try? I, I think that's the, that's the thing is that humans, we will, we will always try to not we always try to learn. We always try to not make those mistakes, even though you know, we are human, we are going to make mistakes anyways. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's, it's interesting with, with Jim's story, Jim Peniston's story uh, from Rendlesham that, you know, it, it sounds like he interacted with a future version of humans that are trying to go back and they're trying to get something from us to save themselves now. They don't really want to change much here, but they want to be able to save their future selves and they need something from us now. So, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's a part of it down the road too, that we do these, you know, uh, different, uh, uh, you know, traversing the different, uh, millennia to be able to try to help ourselves. Uh, certainly feasible. So, um, Robert Hanna, 
Uh, hey, Mike, did you ever hear that outlandish, outlandish time travel story that this guy was taken to the moon by the men in black and was there for years on the base and then went to Mars? Um, I mean, there's a lot of uh, crazy stories like that. You know, there's stories about, you know, there, there's guys that claim that they were grown in Petri dishes and sent to Mars to be some sort of warrior and fight the aliens up there. And I have a hard time with some of that stuff. Um, I'm not saying it's impossible. You know, obviously we're talking about a lot of these things, so we must believe that a lot of things are possible. Um, I just have a really hard time with that because I just, I, I mean, I, I need a little bit more for proof on that, I guess. Um, when it comes to, when it comes to some of these other things that we've been talking about, I mean, we've been talking, you know, time travel but in a lot of ways we've been talking about human consciousness and the way that we interact with our environment um and, and different things that we've seen like you know shadow people and um you know ghosts we've talked about you know we've we've talked about ancient sites of power and we we know that you know uh those ancient sites of power and the energy uh have been used for different things by ancient cultures uh you know throughout the millennia that uh, these ancient cultures have had, you know, certain beliefs, you know, about the afterlife and where they come from. And so those have a, a, a bit of uh, tangibility to it. When it comes to some other stories, it's like, well, yeah, I don't even have that like little inkling there of, of anything to go with it yet. Other than, okay, you want to say men in black? Well, yeah, there are government guys that are dressed in black and wearing hats and we did a whole thing on men in black before and i think there is some plausibility to the men in black whether they are um whether they are government agents which i think most of them are um or are they um you know from another dimension or some sort of time traveler or whatever i think a few of them are but i think most of them are government agents and yeah they do want to hide things and, and keep things from uh the rest of us and i mentioned it in jim's show uh when we had jim peniston on for edge of the rabbit hole that the idea of um as a society uh withholding information or uh spreading disinformation as this idea that you know we're trying to you know protect ourselves and basically what it ends up doing is it ends up holding us back uh which is really a shame that in in so many ways our society is held back you know because the powers that be are trying to keep things from us and so you know, it's supposed to be some sort of protective measure, but really what they do is they they slow down our our progress and we end up stuck and spinning our wheels, uh, which is a real shame. And so, um, you know, hopefully, you know, we can take what we're learning here now and be able to progress our consciousness. I think that's a lot of what we're doing now is we're trying to, uh, you know, come back to our roots you know, as, as humans, uh, you know, we're doing a lot these days, learning, learning more and more about how the human consciousness works and how, uh, you know, we can tap into different levels, um, in, in different, in, in different areas of the mind and different, 
you know, areas of the universe. Uh, and I think that's going to be very, very important uh, moving forward. So uh, we are basically at the end of the show here, guys. So let's go ahead and uh, wrap it up because it's after midnight in the East, the podcast version. Well, I don't know what time it is for you guys at this point. Uh, but we've been going a little while now. 